Welcome into episode seven of the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. I'm your host. We got a fun podcast in store for you coming up in just a little bit. As per usual, I'd like to thank you for listening to the past episodes. And if you haven't caught up, what are you doing? We've had some great interviews over the first six weeks of the podcast. And uh, thanks to all the guests that have been a part of it. We added Melly Cafe as an advertiser a few weeks ago. As I'm taping this, I went to Melly Cafe to pick up the gift cards that our guests are going to get for being on the podcast. And that was a lot of fun. If you haven't checked out Melly Cafe, it's a great place to go for brunch or lunch or in their River North location, which is right off of Wells in Ohio. They also have dinner, too. So you can go check them out for that as well. The radio business is interesting and you can end up becoming friends with people that you would never suspect that you were going to be friends with. And that's kind of what ended up happening with me and Justin Roman. When Styles and Roman first got onto the air, I was a, at the time, a fairly serious football reporter. Not anymore, but at the time, I was a fairly serious football reporter. And I was like, whoa, these dudes are just going to come in here and do whatever they want. And you're not thinking that it's a match. Like they're on the, on B96 that they're, you know, they're this or they're that you have a lot of misconceptions, but what happened is as soon as I met both Doug and, and Justin, I was like, man, I really like these guys. They, they dug the stuff that I did on the air, which was great. And we've become friends. So I see those guys in the hallway, not often because at least not now, because I'm on at nights and they're on in the mornings. But when they were on in afternoons, I would see them at the end of their shifts. And so the hallway is set up now where, where we're broadcasting out of Prudential Plaza. The B96 studio is right down the hallway from the score studio. So, and our lockers are in the same space. Yes, we have lockers like it's grade school. I don't know if I've ever shared that before, but it's true. And our lockers are all in the same space. So I would run into Dougie and Justin all the time. And I always enjoyed them. So when I was thinking about putting this podcast together, those were two guys that I wanted to make sure I sat down and interviewed with because their career arc is crazy. So I got Justin first. So he's going to be our guest this week. I'll get. I'll go back and I'll get Dougie at some point. But considering their career arc, it's kind of amazing which is part of the reason why I wanted to talk with Justin about everything that he's done and everything that that show has done and changed into. The crazy thing about Justin is his life and career arc has been insane. In this interview, you'll hear him talking about trying to be in O-Town. And I knew that he had a singing career. I knew about his group, VI3. Go look up the pictures. Like, while you're listening to this podcast, open up another window and just type in VI3 Justin Roman and look at the pictures. It's fabulous. But I found out a lot about Justin that I did not know about him, as, and we've been friends for over a decade now. So I really think that you'll dig on this. It's a fun interview. There's some emotional stuff in here, too. I can tell you, and so it's not a surprise to you when it comes up in the interview, Justin was really close with his dad, and his dad passed away last year. 
And they really connected over baseball, both Justin's amateur career and the Chicago Cubs. So we spend a significant portion of the interview talking about that. It's really good. And I think that if you do have a preconceived notion of Justin Roman, it might be blown away by this conversation that we're going to have. So I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm going to let you enjoy it. This was me, Justin Roman, House of L podcast. Enjoy. So here's where I want to start because ordinarily, like I don't, I I usually don't even tell people that I'm recording, but you already know that. Yeah, I see that, it. <laughs> that we're recording. <clears throat> I I, w- I want to start with music with you. Yeah. Okay. When's the first time you knew you had musical talent? Uh, it started as a kid for me, and uh, I would write poems. I used to write poems for girls that I liked, and it was I get made fun of for it, but it was kind of how I I'm a hopeless romantic, I guess, and so I would write poems, and those turn into songs, and then when I got to like high school, junior high, high school, there was a guy DJing at our junior high, and I <laughs> it was so funny. I, I wanted to be up on stage. I wanted to do what he did, and so I bugged him forever to like be his helper, like be a DJ helper, and he finally gave in and let me do it. And eventually that turned into me grabbing a microphone during the school dances and singing along to different songs. And I love, to be honest, I love the attention I was getting from the girls. They would scream because I would be up there dancing and stuff. And I liked it so much to a point where he's like, you know, you should perform at our festivals. He was doing like the big festivals around town, Glendale Heights, Bloomingdale, Schaumburg. He was DJing those festivals. So I put a little group together and sure enough, I'm performing in front of these festivals and I caught the bug. I was just, I love being up on stage. I love the attention. And that's kind of how it started for me musically uh, throughout my childhood. With poetry, was there anyone in particular that you liked was it like I'm, I'm trying to figure out like what was it that about poetry that kind of grabbed you was it something that you read like in high school or junior high that <laughs> that you said man this is I, I love the way that this person is expressing themselves and I want to try to do that the same way you are gonna laugh but it really wasn't like the famous poets of life it was LL Cool J I Need Love that song for me was like the greatest poem ever written and recorded. And I honestly, in sixth grade, I want to say, I passed off the first verse as my own. I submitted it to Mrs. Clink in sixth grade at Westfield Junior High in Bloomingdale as my own poem. And years later, I interviewed LL Cool J. I told him that story. And he loved it. And he said to me, he said, well, what grade did you get? I said, oh, I got an A. We got an A, buddy. I need love. Got an A in the poetry class. <laughs> yeah. That, well, I'm not surprised. It's, it's funny how... The modern, I guess, modern day poets. When we talk about you know singers and and rappers in particular, it it allows us to see the world through their vantage point uh-huh. and gave a new spin on some of the classic stuff. I mean, if you go back and and look at, I mean, Chaucer is almost impossible. But if you go back to look at Chaucer or Shakespeare or, or Lord Byron or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you look at some of that stuff, you go, man, if, if I could flip some of these lines, yeah, right. <laughs> it, 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 it would straight up be dope. And the same yeah. thing with, with is, so was LL your guy? Like, cause you know, early on, like everyone has their camp. Like I was a cool Modi guy. Okay. All right. I, I didn't, I didn't love LL until later. And I used to love the battle between cool Modi and LL Cool J yeah. back in the day. Man, for me, music was, I liked everything from Bon Jovi to Journey to LL Cool J to Sade. I really was like, I didn't have one genre of music. I love New Edition, Belle Bib DeVoe, that whole camp. Um, but yeah, LL Cool J was my first, and Will Smith were my first two rappers that I loved, you know. But LL Cool J, I Need Love was the song that really got me into 
poems. I, mean, I guess you can credit him as a poet, but I just loved, again, I'm a hopeless romantic, so I loved the love song part of it, but I just loved how it was so, I don't know, it was, it was a great, great song, and it definitely got me to writing songs. How did you get so eclectic with your musical style? Did that come from your family? Yeah. Is that just, okay. It was, it was my, uh, my parents, uh, my father loved Journey, and my mom loved Rod Stewart in Alabama, the country group Alabama. So every year I went to a Journey concert, an Alabama concert, and a Rod Stewart concert. I'm like six years old, dude. What six-year-old goes to an Alabama, a Rod Stewart? I mean, but I will say this. Journey with Steve Perry, one of the best classic rock groups of all time, I think. And Steve Perry's voice is phenomenal. Rod Stewart, he's old, man, but he can entertain. He's an entertainer. And Alabama was the first kind of crossover country group. So really, all three of those acts were like almost the best at what they did. So I kind of had a really good education musically, thanks to my parents. And then I discovered like LL Cool J on my own, Bon Jovi on MTV, Guns N' Roses. I, I discovered that on my own, but kind of put it all together. And um, that's my musical taste. It's funny how... That influences you still today. Yeah. The, the, the transition that you made from B96 to US 99. And I always laugh because there are people who don't realize that your roots in country are a little bit deeper than, yeah. hey, he was a radio guy, B96, and now mm -hmm. he, he's on US 99. When that transition happened, because I do want to talk about the B96 days. Of course. When the transition happened to US 99, were you worried that it wouldn't take that people wouldn't give you credibility for being a country music fan. You know, I wasn't too worried. I was excited because it was a great opportunity for us. And a lot of people don't know that um, I've loved country music for the past like 10 years before we got this job. I was working at B96 as an afternoon show and I was driving home at seven o'clock when I was off the air and I was listening to country music my entire drive home. I just love country music. I, I'll be honest, I'm more into like the pop country music. Like uh, obviously I love Taylor Swift, Carrie Underwood, Rascal Flatts, Zach Brown Band, Sam Hunt, my favorite favorite Danny Shay. I'm into the more poppy country groups, but um, I do love country music. And I think as a kid being into Alabama, uh, that, that was the first crossover country group that I've been exposed to. And I think that was a big part of my country education back then. What was the biggest hurdle once you and Styles cracked the mic on US 99? <laughs> we were replacing a legendary morning show, right? So, uh, Lisa and Ray have been on the air for a very long time. And, you know, we dealt with it at B96, too, because there were a lot of talks about us being the morning show after Eddie and Jobo were gone. And they were a legendary morning show as well. So no matter who we were going to follow, whether it was Eddie and Jobo or Lisa and Ray, we knew that the old school fans were going to have a problem with it. More so at US 99 because they thought of us as the B96 guys. They thought of us as, quote unquote, the hip hop guys because they, for some reason, think B96 plays hip hop, which that's not really what they play anymore. But still, you know, they didn't realize that I had this country background and I love country music so much. We actually have a bit on our show called uh, Roman's College of Country Knowledge. And it's basically five questions in the country world that a listener goes up against me and I'm crushing at it. Like, I think I've got my credibility now because they realize, all right, this kid does know his country music. So um, I wasn't really nervous, almost anxious and excited to prove people wrong and that, yes, we do belong on this format. Was it hard for you? No, uh, I think the, again, Styles and Roman, we were the afternoon show on B96 for 10 years and we were waiting for a morning show opportunity. Um, I don't want to say we were getting bored, but we were kind of, you know, in the music world, afternoon drive is very music driven. So we're not talking very often. And again, we're talking over at song intros for 12 seconds at a time. There's two of us try to put a phone caller in there. It, it makes for not a lot of time to show your creativity. So we were dying to be a morning show. Full disclosure, I thought we we're going to be the next morning show at B96. I really did. I thought that that was what, even when Todd Cavill 
7, our, our boss brought us to a secret location for a meeting and tell us what was happening. We both thought he was taking us to this uh, Old Crow Smokehouse in Wrigleyville to tell us we're the new morning show on B96. And when he was talking about mornings and how we've, you know, done so good, and, and he said US 99, we both were, like, so shocked. Like, wait, wait, what? Like, it was just, we never saw it coming. But I'll tell you what, for the longevity of our career, we wanted to be a morning show. It was the best move we could have possibly made. So once that conversation happens, mm -hmm. you guys understand that you're getting ready to flip from a completely different genre. Yeah. What are those discussions like? You know, uh... I will say this, Todd Cavanaugh, who's our big boss at B96 and also at US99, he told us something I'll never forget. He said, basically, describe the B96 listener. And I did, you know, suburban, female-leaning, you know, whatever. Uh, and then he said, describe the US99 listener. And same thing, female, suburban, you know. Um, he said, you know, in the country world here in Chicago— it's not horses and farms. It's Chicago. People go to Cubs games. They go to concerts. They date. They're on Tinder. They have babies. They get married. It's a lifestyle thing. The only difference between B96 and US99 from a lifestyle standpoint is that, you know, B96, they're listening to Bieber. US99 is listening to Luke Bryan. And I was like, okay, I, I feel that. And then he also said, I'm not hiring you guys to be a country morning show. I'm hiring you to be a great morning show that plays country music. And once he said that, I was like, yes, let's do this. I, I was wondering about that because I, I would think that there would be this pressure on you to be like, oh, well, now we have to go ov overtly country. Right. You know, that we have to now put on cowboy hats and, <laughs> right. and wear spurs around the office. And, uh -huh. you know, as we're recording this, you're wearing ripped jeans and yeah. just a T-shirt, some sneakers yeah. and all that good stuff. What, did you ever feel any pressure to over-country it to appeal to the US 99 audience? No, because country music today is poppy, right? So Thomas Rhett dresses like I do. Sam Hunt dresses like I do. You still have some of the guys like Jason Aldean who wears the cowboy hats, but Luke Bryan wears a baseball cap. I wear baseball caps all the time. Like The new country, 2018 country music, they look like us. Funny story, actually, our, our first picture, we were touring the studio for the first time, and we took a picture with Drew Walker, our midday guy, who's a legend in US 99, and uh, my partner, Styles was wearing a Wu-Tang Clan shirt. And I said, <laughs> hey, man, you need to retire that shirt from now on, because this is definitely not country. Like, do not wear that ever again. <laughs> that is fantastic that he's sitting there wearing a, a Wu-Tang Clan shirt. That's, uh, that is phenomenal. Yeah, so he's got to, he had to change a little bit of that, but I mean, for the most part, again, you know, um, the guys, the new guys, the Thomas Red, Sam Hunts, they wear kicks. You know, they, they're they a little more of today's country versus our parents' country. Okay, that, that makes sense. How did you get yourself into the business? Because I think that from what I know a little bit of it, I think that your way is a way that people don't suspect works. But yeah. it, it actually happens more than people think. Yeah. So I explained early on my, my music career kind of started uh, from writing poems to songs to DJing to grabbing the microphone and performing. Well, <laughs> I auditioned for a TV show called Making the Band years ago, okay? And Making the Band, before it was on MTV, it was on ABC. And it was uh, Lou Pearlman, the guy who discovered Backstreet Boys and Sync, was putting together a brand new boy band. So I auditioned for it. Out of the 500 guys in Chicago that auditioned, I was the only one they selected to go to 
Florida for boy band boot camp is what they called it. And out of 5,000 people across the country, I was one of 25 to be in this boy band boot camp. And uh, ultimately, I didn't make the group, but I got so much confidence knowing that, wow, I was one of 500. I was 25 of 5,000. I obviously have some talent here, and I want to. I caught the bug. I was like, I want to do this. So long story short, I uh, formed a group here in Chicago, a boy band called VI3. And uh, you don't, you never heard of us, but you probably know our one song called Eyes Closed So Tight because it was a song that was a top 40 record. It peaked out number 37 in the country. I wrote and co-produced it. So the song was great, and B96 played it. Stations around the country played it. The heartbreaking part of it all was that the second it hit number 37 in the country, and we're getting the video treatments, like the actual, like, what's the video going to look like? We're getting the treatments. I get a phone call, or my manager gets a phone call. MCA Records went bankrupt. So ultimately, we have this hot song, this hit song, that all of a sudden the plug has been pulled from it, and it's trickling down the charts in a negative way. And I was heartbroken. I'm like, Wait, this, this song was supposed to go top 10 and whatever. So we lost our record deal because our record label folded. And um, sure enough, we don't know what to do. So to be honest, I wasn't getting along with the guys I was in the group with towards the end. So I went solo, and uh, I wrote and co-produced another ballad called Where Are You under the name of Jay Roman featuring Saluna, and another Top 40 record. It was boom, boom, boom. Very excited about it. Uh, B96 played it as well. What happened was, in between me leaving the group and going solo, Todd Kavanaugh, the head of B96, and also one of the bigger bosses here in Intercom Chicago, pulled me aside and was like, listen, I would like to offer you something. And I said, okay, what is it? You ever think about being on the radio? And I was like... Not really, you know, I love the radio, I love B96, but I haven't thought about it. He goes, you know what, humor me, I want to put you together with this guy, Dougie Styles, and do a demo, and let me hear what it sounds like. I said, all right, cool. So me and Styles did a demo together. Did you know him at all? I did. I'm sorry. I, I interned for B96 uh, back in my college days in Elmer's College. In the promotions department. In the promotions department, right. So, like, for the summer bash, I was the guy setting up the folding chairs, you know. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, 25,000 folding chairs. And you know how it is. I was promotions, right? So you're you're a talent. You know, when you go to an event, promotion sets it up. I was setting up events. So I met Styles back then. So we what we did was, and I forget, we're in my bedroom in Bloomingdale. And we're putting we're mapping out what a, what a night show should sound like in Chicago, right? We renovated the whole whole night show and we, we submitted it to Todd Kavanaugh and Eric Bradley the MD and uh, Todd I'll never forget looked at me and said in 25 years of radio this is the best first demo I've ever heard in my life I want you guys to be at my night show and I was like whoa hold on a second I'm a performer I still have a song I want to promote. You know, the single Where Are You is, is doing very very well I want to travel and promote it. He said I get it I get it but you travel do your thing I know you're a singer but when you're in Chicago you're my night show on B96 and I said as long as those are the terms I'm good. So we signed a contract on the spot. We thought we were millionaires with the contract we signed. Looking back, it wasn't that much money, but we thought it was a lot, right? So what do you do when you get the night show at B96? You go to Hooters and have an amazing celebration, me and Styles. We thought we were cheersing each other. We thought we were living life, man. So uh, we were the night show for two years, got promoted uh, two years later to Afternoons. Uh, for 10 years, we were there for And then, you know, got the ultimate promotion to do mornings at US 99. Same company. Intercom owns both companies. So it was a promotion in the company. But, yeah, that's kind of how I – music started me into the radio game. Was it hard to let go of the music aspect of it? You know, I never truly let go because that song actually was a top 40 record. I was uh, traveling, you know, I opened for Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears and those people. So I was still doing music. And then years later, I was in a group called Jump Smokers. Uh, even towards the end of my B96 career, I was on tour with Pitbull and Enrique Iglesias. Uh, three sold out tours in a row. I was in China five times, uh, twice in the Philippines, uh, Singapore. I was traveling a lot. I know Todd Kavanaugh was probably like, all right, stop traveling. I made that deal with you. 
12 years ago. Like, let's let's give that part up, right? So, but the Jump Smokers was my most successful musical act. Um, and we had a good, like, eight-year run that was awesome. It was a lot of fun. What's the most interesting venue that you played? Dude, I got to perform a sold-out show at Madison Square Garden. Wow. And when I tell you we were on tour with Pitbull and Enrique Iglesias, we weren't the opening act. And Jay Balvin, by the way. Jay Balvin was the opening act. Then it was either Pitt or Enrique. Then the Jump Smokers, because we were kind of like the intermission DJs, I guess you could say. And then Pitbull and Enrique would alternate who closed every single night. So we weren't even like the opening act. We were like performed at Madison Square Garden for a sold-out concert on the Pitbull and Enrique tour. That was probably, you know, that along with doing the Allstate Arena twice, because I'm a Chicago boy, that's a big deal for me, you know, going to a place that I've seen conscious my whole life. Um, those two things stick out as my favorite experiences when you're out there and you're you're on a card with incredible big name sellout arena talent mm -hmm. what what types of things did you try to pick up from people like enrique iglesias and pitbull yeah i'll tell you first off two of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet in life like they are just so down to earth they took such good care of us but pitbull in particular was just the hardest working man i've ever met in my entire life and at this time he's on top of the music game i mean hit after hit after hit and he was always thinking of the next song like if he had a number one song called don't stop the party he's like what's my next one i want the, i want to find the new sound he was always working hard and the one thing he said to me that i still tell people i i speak at different you know colleges and high schools is he said that you know a lot of people thought of him as like an overnight success and he got, he got lucky. He goes, you know what's funny? He goes, here's something that's really, really funny. The harder I work, the luckier I get. Isn't that crazy? And I thought, wow, that's such a cool thing because there is no luck, man. I mean, yeah, you get lucky. But it was his hard work that made him lucky, quote unquote lucky, right? So the harder I work, the luckier I get. And I, I just always thought of that. Like in radio and music and everything, you know, you got to work hard to get that break. And uh, when that break comes, you got to be ready for it. Pitbull was ready for it. Hopefully, you know, Roman was ready for it as well. What's that moment like when you go on stage in front of a uh, sold-out crowd in Madison Square Garden? It was awesome. I mean, again, you know, I'm a Chicago boy, so I, I all stayed arena for me. My friends and family were there, but just the legendary Madison Square Garden. You know, from my boy band days to losing a record deal to never getting a full album as a solo artist, I never thought I would do Madison Square Garden. You know, I just it wasn't in the cards for me. So thanks to Pitbull and Enrique, I got to do that. I'll tell you, I don't get nervous that's one thing about me. I don't get nervous when I perform or, or go on the air for that matter. I feel like I'm built to do this and I'm ready to do it. I'm prepared to do it. But I was excited. You know, I just, from all the legendary people that performed there before to, you know, my being a sixth grader in my bedroom writing songs and, you know, to have that experience, even though it was only one time, it was like, wow, man, you've waited your whole life for something like this. So I took it in. I got video of it, you know, but uh, I wasn't nervous. I was just very excited and grateful to be there. How do you think... When your son grows up, he's going to view all of this. You know, I just, I hope I can be doing it long enough for him to think it's really, really cool. You know, like, I listen, I love being on the radio, as I know you do too. I, I'm the Chicago Bulls in-game entertainment host. I love doing that. Um, I love the music part of it. I just hope that I can do all these things long enough where my son is like, he's four right now. But he's seven or eight or nine. He's at school and all of his friends know that, oh, your dad does the Bulls game or whatever it is. And I just hope I can do it long enough where he thinks that it's cool 
what his daddy does. Because right now, I'm just his daddy, right? Like, I'm the guy who wrestles on the ground with him and showers him with kisses and all that stuff. But I want him to really, you know, be excited about what daddy does for a living. He's getting a taste of it now. I play him on the radio a lot. I record him a lot because his voice is so cute. And so he's getting a taste of, like, if you ask him, oh, are you on the radio with daddy? He's like, yeah. But I don't think he truly, really knows what that means yet. He's four. I'm excited for the times when he's older and he can really appreciate it. How do you think fatherhood has changed you? It has made me a way better person. I've always tried to be a good person my entire life, you know, but just being a dad is the first, I don't care how in love you are with your wife or your girlfriend or your parents or your family. Um, it isn't until you have a kid that you truly know what selfless love is. Like I would do anything in the world to make sure he's happy. Even if it made me unhappy, you know what I'm saying? Like I would do anything to make sure he's good and happy forever. You know, um, I'm a single dad, so I get to kind of be both mommy and daddy to him. And I, I'll tell you what, I would not trade that experience for anything. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm sorry I didn't work out. No, don't be sorry I didn't work out with his mother because I got, I would do it all over again because you know what? I'm still cool with his mom, but uh, it took me and her to make him. And he looks the way he looks. He acts the way he looks because of both of us. And I would not change a thing with Tristan. So um, I would do it all over again, even knowing we don't have the love story of like, you know, mommy, daddy, pick a fence. What I would do it all again because the experiences that I got to do with my son um, have been priceless. I mean, I never thought I'd be excited about changing diapers, but it was my son. I was cool with it, you know, giving him a bath every night, reading him bed stories every night. Like I would not trade that for the world. What are the challenges of being a single dad and also a morning drive yeah. host? Um, that's tough. Uh, thank God I have my mom because my mom stays at my house Sunday night through Thursday night. Because here's the deal. I leave at 4.20 in the morning. And so my son's still sleeping, but you can't leave him home alone. He's four years old. So <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, my mom stays over. And I just, again, I could not do it without her. And I just, I'm so thankful that I have her in my life. And you know what? I, I'm so thankful that Tristan has her in his life because he loves her, man. I mean, they they have a bond that's sometimes they come home and he's like, Well, I want to go with Nana. I'm like, No, I'm your dad. You're still not here with me. I was working earlier, dude. So um I, I'm so thankful. Uh, that is a challenge. I think eventually if I find the right somebody and get married, you know, that'll be less of a challenge because there's two of us that can co-parent and, and do our thing. But for right now, that is a challenge. But thankfully, I have my mom and my sister has two kids, lives five minutes away from us. So really Tristan's an only child, but he's really not. He gets to grow up with his cousins. And those are his best friends, Nadia and Giovanni. So they're like the big three, I call them. And um, we have a great situation out in the suburbs, and uh, I couldn't be happier. You were real tight with your dad. Very tight, yeah. And you lost him last year? I did last April, April 5th. Do, yeah. do you think that you've learned in the last year what it is to connect with your son because of your connection with your dad? Yeah, you know, my dad was my best friend. I can honestly say it. Um, my best friend and uh, I took him to every Cubs game you could possibly go to. You know, he was just but my dad growing up, he worked a lot. So almost the opposite of me. I do work a lot, but my hours make it such where I'm home with Tristan a lot. My dad had he was in the car business, so he was working like 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. He was always gone and he would try to like I'm a big baseball player my whole life. So he would try to like sneak away for to watch me pitch an inning or two at my Lake Park High School games. But he wasn't there as much as he wanted to be because my mom stayed home. My dad worked. That was their arrangement, you know, but he was my best friend. man. we had baseball in common. We had the Cubs in common. Just, you know, we we're father son. And so I will say this, like 
it's very, very sad that I lost my father, and it breaks my heart every single day I think about it, and I think about it all the time. But I will tell you this. I smile more than people realize because I took my dad and my two-year-old son at the time, Tristan, to Game 3 of the Cubs World Series game at Wrigley Field. And then I took my dad to Game 5 of the World Series at Wrigley Field, the only game they won at Wrigley Field in the World Series. So knowing that my dad stuck around long enough to see that happen, and by the way, we didn't know he was sick at the time, so he was, we're living life, man. We're enjoying it. The fact that me and my dad got to share the Cubs winning the World Series together is something I will never, ever forget, and it makes me smile knowing that he saw that. And also, he saw it with me and my son. Three generations of Romans were at the first World Series game at Wrigley Field since 1945, and that's something I don't take for granted. That was amazing. What do you think that meant to him? Oh, man. I remember walking up to the marquee to get that picture moment. And thank God I took that picture of me, my dad, and Tristan. Because that picture is epic to me. That's like my favorite picture of all time. I remember him walking up and him just seeing in the lights, you know, Game 3 World Series. And just, obviously my dad's older than me. He's my dad. I couldn't believe what I was reading on the marquee. Cubs World Series at Wrigley Field is unheard of. So for my dad to see it. And then, you know, I'm holding my son and my dad's, I mean, there's a picture online of that. He's got the World Series hat on. I mean, we were Cub fans, right? And so I remember walking into the World Series, Game 3, and just us looking around like kids in candy stores. And I saw my dad just like so excited. You know what? Actually, I'll take it a step back. I believe it was Game 6 when the Cubs clinched at Wrigley Field and the NLCS against the Dodgers. We were at that game too. I mean, tears were coming down our eyes. That was something that was like... I cannot believe the Cubs are going to the World Series. Uh, and then when they won, I, okay, again, I'm a psycho Cubs fan. I drove to Cleveland. <laughs> As you will find out on this podcast, I am a psycho Cubs fan. I drove to Cleveland for Game 7. And the second they won, I'm crying. I mean, I, I really was. It was a big deal for me and my family. And I FaceTimed my dad. And he's there, tears in his eyes. And, man, I mean, I miss my dad so much. But the fact that I got to share that with him, it's, oh, I'll never forget it. I mean, it's kind of storybook. It is. I mean, it, and no one wants to see their parents pass away. Right. But the the fact that this was something that you guys had shared for yep. your entire life. Yeah. And it culminates yeah. in, in the Cubs winning the World Series. Oh, dude, it was uh it was just like you said, no one wants to lose their parent. Trust me, I would change my whole life in to have my dad back. But knowing that, you know, the Cubs win the World Series at the end of twenty sixteen and my dad was there for it every step of the way. And then he passed away April 5th, uh, 2017. Again, it's sad. You know, I got tears in my eyes when I was talking about it, but the fact that he got to see him win and we got to do it together with my son, priceless. For a lifelong Cub fan, seeing that rise that they took, like yeah. in 2015, yeah, and knowing, okay, wow, we're, we're actually good. When was the moment where you like, oh, they they might be good enough in the next couple of years to win the World Series. Um, my friends will make fun of me and say that every year I said, this is the year. I was that guy, right? No, this is the year. We have fill in the blank. You know, uh, Jeremy Burnett is playing right field. This is the year. He was great in Milwaukee, whatever it is, right? But, I mean, I, I, who am I kidding? I, I knew, you know, uh, I remember 1984, you know, I'm a big Sandberg fan. He's my favorite player, Sandberg. Um, you know, 89, I remember. Uh, 03, you know, the whole, that whole fiasco. But when they hired Theo Epstein, for me, that was like, Ricketts means business. Like, this is the best baseball mind. And he broke the Red Sox curse, or quote-unquote curse. And so a lot of my friends, same thing, man. Oh, but look, they're losing 100 games. They go, yeah, but Chris Bryant's in the minors. Or, yeah, you know, we just traded Samaraja for Addison Russell. Like, I saw what was happening. I saw it bubbling under. Now, listen, we had 
obviously some luck when it comes to some trades and Arietta that was who knew that was coming. He was a top prospect, but you didn't he think was he was horrible in Baltimore. Right. You didn't think he'd be Cy Young, right? Um, you know, knock on wood, none of our prospects got hurt or really flamed out. Like I mean, from Bryant to Russell to uh Bi- I mean, they really all kind of hit. So I know there was I don't want to say luck, but you know, just we we're very fortunate. But uh 2015, that run they went on, again, showing what a psycho I am, I took a flight out to Pittsburgh for the wildcard game by myself. I'm like, I can't, I got to be there for this, you know? Like, so it was really cool to see that when they win the wildcard game. But really, it all started when they hired Theo Epstein. I just kind of, I'm like, he's not coming here unless Ricketts promised him the world. Like, you can do whatever you need. Whatever you need, we got you. He's not coming here unless he was promised that. And with his baseball mind and the Ricketts resources, I thought, this is something good. So, yeah, 2015 was the first time I really, you know, saw it on the field. But it was a couple years before that when I saw the prospects and the talent he was acquiring. Um, I was very excited. How do you think you've changed as a Cub fan now that they've actually won the World Series? I'll tell you this. You know, last year, 2017, they did not win the World Series. And I didn't cry about it. I wasn't heartbroken about it. You know, I'm not saying that I'm satisfied enough with winning it once. But I'm a baseball historian where I know they don't, back-to-backs don't happen. You know, three-peats don't happen. This isn't the Golden State Warriors in baseball. It doesn't really happen that way. So I know that something Theo said a while ago was, you want to get to the playoffs as much as you can, and it's craps you to that point. You want to take as many bites from the apple as you can. So, okay, they didn't go back-to-back, no problem. Basically, the same team is back for this year. So, I mean, and here we are standing right now. The Cubs are a pretty good team halfway through the year. So, I feel like we'll get another shot in the postseason. And just things have to line up for you, you know? So, I'm not satisfied with one because I'll tell you what, at the end of this run, if they only win one World Series, I will be disappointed. But I feel like... There's more coming, you know, maybe this year, maybe next year, but there's more coming. So I think last year I didn't take it as hard as I would have knowing that they won the year before that. How good were you when you played? I was good, man. I'm, I'm a lefty pitcher. So, uh, oh man, we can, let's, we can make some money right now. Yeah, let's go. I know. You know, I, um, I was really, really good. I went to Lake Park High School, you know, I was a varsity and all stay all that stuff. And I had a nasty curveball. So, as a lefty, I didn't throw very hard, but I, as my coach will tell you, Coach Hilner, I had the nastiest curveball he's ever seen in his life. I never got so much joy out of facing a lefty. And throwing a curveball to him that he probably knew was coming and him buckling, like his leg just buckling because he thinks it's going to hit him, but then it goes in for a strike, call strike. That on the mound was the biggest joy I ever had. It just felt so good, you know. I played baseball my whole life. I was really, my dad kind of trained me to be a Division One player. That's what I, my whole life, that's what I wanted to do, you know, was play for the Cubs, right? So I figured D1 school, uh, I never got a D1 offer. I was heartbroken by it. Um, I got some like division three and grant offers and some D2s things, but I was a 17 year old kid who thought he should play division one baseball. And the only regret I have in my entire life, I only have one regret in my entire life. I don't, I don't regret things in life, but I have one regret. And I wish I could have told that 17 year old kid, go to a D2 school, go to a division three school, play baseball. Cause you never know what could happen. You could still get drafted junior college for all, you know, for all the matters. I just thought, Oh, if I'm not going to play D1, I'm probably not going to play for the pros. And so I, I switched gears and I followed my music career, which again, it worked out pretty well. But as you could probably hear from my voice talking about the Cubs and baseball, I really would trade it all to play for the Cubs. I mean, it's, I love sports. I love baseball in particular. Did you play basketball? I played basketball. Because um, you're you're a tall, long yeah. guy. I'm 6'3". Yeah, thank you. I'm 6'3", uh, but baseball was my sport. I played basketball. I played football. I was actually a starting quarterback for my high school team, too. But uh, my dad made me quit football after sophomore year before varsity because he didn't want me to get hurt for baseball. 
So, you know, smart move. But, yeah, I mean, I loved all sports. I was definitely basketball, football, baseball. But baseball was my, my strong point and uh, my passion. So how did the Bulls thing come about? Man, that was cool. That was a job I didn't even know existed, right? So I was at B96, uh, well, no, this was two, three years ago, and the afternoon show, and then Michelle Harris, the head of Bulls Entertainment, had called me and was like, hey, just out of curiosity, do you think you would be interested in doing the hosting for the Chicago Bulls? And I was like, would I? Yeah, of course. I didn't even know it existed, but yeah, of course. That sounds amazing. So they brought me in for an audition with Courtney Hall, my co-host, and at the time, I didn't know... Like, they said I was coming in for an audition. I didn't realize it was an audition for one. Like, they thought it was me the whole time, but they wanted to make sure I could handle it. So here I am at the United Center with my in-ears in and the microphone, and I had a script that I had to memorize and stuff. And I'm performing, if you will, in front of Michelle Harris, uh, Emily, uh, Michael Reinsdorf, like a bunch of, I mean, obviously all the bigwigs of the Bulls Entertainment and the Bulls. And I don't audition for many things. I'm not a, an actor or anything, so I don't do auditions really. So that was like the one audition I had. And I walked out of it feeling really, really good. I'm like, wow, I think I nailed that. I can do this. And sure enough, I got a phone call the next day from Michelle. And she's like, we thought you were phenomenal. Will you take the job? I was like, absolutely. Now, mind you, I was the afternoon show on B96. So Bulls games would have been easy, right? I leave a little early for my show, go to the United Center, do a Bulls game. Well, that off season there, going from when I got the job to my first season as a Chicago Bulls host, I got moved up to mornings at US 99. A little more challenging to be a morning show and then do the Bulls games at night. So you got a you got a Bulls game that probably ends around 10, maybe sometimes yeah. 1030. Mm-hmm. And you have to be up by, I'm guessing, 3.30 or so? 3.30, exactly, right. Yeah. How, how have you made that work <laughs> over the last couple of years? Well, I tell people all the time, I said, listen... My radio job at US 99 is a dream job. I know a lot of people would love to have that gig, right? And also, this Bulls job is a dream job, too, from a sports standpoint. And I know a lot of people would love to have that job. Who am I to complain about, oh, I have to be up early, I'm tired— no, I want to do both jobs, and I'm going to do both jobs. My co-host, Courtney Hall, she does the same thing. She's a morning show host for WGN, and she's got to be on TV and look good. I'm on radio. I could wear a baseball cap, and you know, I could maybe not shower that day. Whatever. Like No one's going to care. So, um, again, they're both dream jobs of mine. And to be honest, as I'm talking about it, they're both dream jobs I never knew I even wanted. I will make it work until they both don't want me anymore. Isn't that amazing how we we feel like there's one path that we're going down yeah. and then an opportunity comes about and yeah. you go, wow, who would have known that this would make me happy? Yeah. If you think about it, all I wanted to do as a kid was be the next Michael Jackson or play for the Cubs. Those are my two like goals in life or my two like passions. If I would have only done music, my music career was so up and down. I'm mean, telling you, when we were touring with Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys, I was living at my parents' house, right? Like, I was still at home. Like, if I only depended on the music career, I wouldn't be living where I live and able to support Tristan, for that matter, even. But, and same thing with the Bulls. Like, if I would have just been so close-minded, like, no, that's not what I'm going to do. Like, of course. Like, when opportunities come up, who am I to say no? Like, these were both great looks. The radio career has been such a blessing for me and my family. It's been so great. And it's still music, right? And the Bulls gig is, yeah, I'm not playing on the court, but it's still sports. So it really is, if you talk to, like, seven-year-old Justin Roman, the two things he wanted to do, he's doing both of them just in a little different ways than he thought he was going to do them. What, what I think is really interesting is, in some ways, your music career prepped you for that job and here's Mm -hmm. what i mean not everyone can step in front of a crowd of twenty thousand people right and you and courtney do that regularly yeah and and if if there isn't the 
the the Allstate Arena shows, if right. it isn't the Madison Square Garden shows, mm-hmm. maybe you don't get that job. Yeah. Maybe you can't excel at it, but you were prepared. That's that's fascinating to me. Well, actually, I'll take this up further. So it's almost directly because of my Jump Smokers group that Michelle Harris thought of me because DJ Flipside from B96 is also one of the Bulls DJs. And me and Flipside are the Jump Smokers. That was our group. So Michelle was aware that we were touring the world and with Pitt and Enrique and had seen us and had been aware of us. So she actually had asked Flipside first, do you think Roman would want this? And he's like, yeah, are you kidding me? Of course he would. So yeah, she knew because I was performing at arenas and stadiums and stuff that the moment wouldn't get to me you know and and i think it all comes from me i said earlier i don't get nervous i think of even the glendale heights festival when i was performing as a 17 year old boy right i think all that trained me to kind of not get nervous in front of the united center because i've been in front of live audiences before you know and uh i feel very comfortable up there what's your partnership with dougie styles like now versus when you guys first started uh, good question. Um, when we first started, we were both young and crazy, and we would we worked seven to midnight. We had the night show shift, so at midnight, twelve oh one, we're at the club, right? Like we go out and we party and whatever, and uh, we had a lot of fun, man. We were um, two kids in a candy store. We had all this like newfound. I don't want. I hate using the word fame, but you know, people knew who we were from B ninety six, and you know, we're we love the attention. Fast forward to today, he is married. And I'm single. <laughs> so let's put it this way. Like, you know, we do different things and we have different lives. But I'll tell you what, we've been on the air for 14 years together. So I don't think it's healthy for us to work every single day together and then hang out together every single night. So we kind of get a much needed break every night when he does his thing with his family. I do my thing with my family or or my friends or whatever it is. I think that we have a great, great partnership. Uh, he's one of my dearest friends. You know, I mean, we've been through a lot together, ups and downs in life, you know, and um, and there is no radio Roman without radio styles, right? It just says vice versa. There's no style show without Roman. Like, we know, I think, that we're better together, and um, the relationship is good. It's just different now because we're at different points of our lives. Is it hard to manage a partnership through that long? That's a long time yeah. to be together. It is, and you hear these horror stories. I'm not going to name any names, but you hear horror stories about different— even Chicago radio shows that they hated each other for years. And I can't imagine. I mean, I'm doing this podcast with you. Our studio is right there. I'm pointing to it. Can you imagine being in that room with somebody for five hours a day that you hate? No. I can't even imagine it. Like, I mean, listen, we don't hang out all the time, but he's one of my best friends. And I'd be miserable if I hated him or vice versa. How do you how do you do that? So, yeah, we've been able to navigate the fact that, you know, our friendship has been strong. And I mean, listen, we have our tips here and there, you know, and there's something that I think the show should do and he disagrees or vice versa. And but we are able to have a mutual respect. And I mean, 14 years on the radio and no one's punched each other yet. So <laughs> that's key. <laughs> that's a win, right? That, that's a, that's really, really key. <laughs> yeah. When you guys had when when you're faced with the opportunity to replace Eddie and Jobo. Yeah. Was that difficult? Because, I mean, those guys were an iconic duo yeah. in Chicago radio. Were you worried well, then? Let me step in and say that we never did get that opportunity. The rumors were that once Eddie and Jobo were going to be gone, they were going to put Styles and Roman in the mornings. That was the rumor on the chat rooms and the message boards and everything, right? So they never did do that. They followed Eddie and Jobo up with uh, Jay and Julian in the morning. But Todd Cavanaugh again told us, he pulled us aside and said, listen, 
I don't want you guys to have the Eddie and Jobo backlash, right? You guys have been on the radio for a long time at B96. You have a good name for yourselves. People love you here, you know? And I want to put a brand new morning show there, keep my afternoons strong, because we were afternoons at the time. I think we didn't get the morning show, I think, because of the fact that Todd didn't really want his afternoon show. He wanted show. a break. He wanted a break. And exactly. he wanted to make sure that the afternoon show was yes. strong still. So instead of weakening two shows. Exactly. You know, you you try to work with the next show that's that's in its place. Exactly. I can't lie and say we weren't disappointed. We wanted it. But okay, our time's going to come. And then when they pulled us aside to tell us that we're the new morning show of US 99, we really thought that was our moment that we we're going to get named the B96 morning show. And think about it, as kids growing up, we listened to B96. That was our station. So the fact we got to work for them and then ultimately we thought the dream was to be the morning show there. For us to get moved over to US 99, I can honestly say and look you in the face and say it was a blessing in disguise. For our career, for the longevity of our career, this audience, this country music format, it was the best move for Styles and Roman. Um, Do you think that you guys would have aged out? That's the thing. How old can you be? And you're still talking about like the Justin Bieber's of the world, right? At some point you get too old, right? Now, listen, I don't ever want to think of myself as getting too old, but like Luke Bryan is in his 40s. Blake Shelton's in his 40s. These are still current artists, the biggest artists on the planet in the country world, and they're in their 40s, right? So you're not going to age yourself out of the country demo where you could have possibly aged yourself out of the B96 demo. And again, I, I love country music. I think as I've gotten older, I've loved it even more. It's really a good fit. It's the fit that I never saw coming, but it makes perfect sense. And I applaud uh, Todd Cavanaugh. Actually, your boss, Mitch Rosen, you know, it was his idea. So Mitch's idea, he put a little bug into Todd Cavanaugh's ear when Todd's like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta do a new morning show at US 99. And Mitch, who we've always been cool with, actually said to Todd, how about Styles and Roman? And Todd told us later, he goes, you know, people give me ideas all the time. And I kind of laugh them off like, yeah, whatever. But that one stuck with me for days. Like, yeah, what about Styles and Roman? So actually, we owe Mitch a lot for the move because uh, he put that bug in Todd's ear. I was told by someone that at one point in your B96 days, there were Styles and Roman panties. Is that, <laughs> yeah. is, is, is that correct? That is true. We had, uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Years later, Todd and Eric, our bosses from B96, they both say like, how did we let you guys do this stuff? We actually had thongs that on the the fabric part of the thong, it said Styles and Roman were here. <laughs> no. And they were our hottest giveaways. We were giving those out on the air. People were calling in droves because they all wanted some of these. I will tell you, I've done appearances at US 99 where girls have brought those infamous thongs like, oh, we loved you guys back in the day. We still have these. And I'm like, oh, my God. Now that I'm a dad, now, thankfully I have a boy. But if I was a dad of like a, a girl, what do you mean you have these styles and Roman thongs? But back then it was different. You know, so what, 14 years ago, we we're the night show on B96. We said a lot of things that we could never say today. We had a lot of topics that we talked about that we can never do today, and especially in the country world. The country world is so much more family-friendly. We were part of that Wild Wild West in radio 14 years ago that I just say, thankfully, we still have jobs. Good, good. I'm glad that you do. What's next for you, man? Uh, I think I want to follow your lead and get into TV a little bit more. With the morning show, it does provide flexibility for me to do other things. I've been a guest on Winnie City Live a couple different times, as have you. I'm actually very excited for tomorrow. I'm actually, they asked me to co-host the show. Ryan's out, so That's I'm co-hosting. Yeah. So um, I have an agent that really thinks TV is my next move. Now, listen, I'm never leaving Chicago. There's some limits here in Chicago for TV, but I think TV is the next thing. I really do enjoy 
being on TV, I think the moment won't get to me. I love talking sports. I love going on Sports Talk Live. You know, you've been on there before too, and uh, I love talking Cubs and, and Bulls and Bears. And listen, I will never give up radio. I will do this station and this show for as long as they will have us. But I think I can do both. And also, I'm not getting rid of the Bulls. The Bulls got me for two more years. I'm signed for two more years. So I would like to even extend that down the road. I just want to add TV into the mix of all that, and I think I can do it all. All the while, still be a phenomenal father, which is the most important job that I have. I always want to leave the listener of this podcast with something that they can take with them if they want to do what you do Mm -hmm. or be in this industry. What advice do you give young people that look at your career and go, I could could do that. I want to do that. I'm glad you asked. Uh, When I talk at different schools and colleges and stuff like that, the one thing I tell everybody is that you're going to hear a thousand no's in this business. Like, I've heard a thousand no's. You know, I had a record deal, then I got dropped. I didn't make Making the Band, which ultimately was O-Town. You know, I got cut from that group, ultimately. We didn't get the B96 Morning Show. I've been told no a lot. But all it takes is one yes to change your life. And the ones that make it are the ones that never quit or get discouraged when they've been told no. I'm a living proof of that. Like, literally, I could have given up multiple times in my music career or even my radio career, but I didn't. I took the no's and I tried to get better, and I took the no's and I tried to go this route. And again, one yes changed my life in the radio game, one yes changed my life in the music game, and one yes changed my life when it comes to this Bulls gig too. So yeah, you're going to hear a thousand no's, but don't get discouraged and don't give up. If you give up, you're never going to make it. The ones that don't give up are the ones that make it. How fun was that? It's a really good time getting a chance to talk with Justin Roman and the incredible lives that he's already led. From potential boy band member to successful singer-songwriter to promotions guy at B96 to having a successful nighttime radio show with Dougie Styles, and then flipping genres and going over to US 99. I think that's one of the toughest genres to crack, by the way, is getting credibility inside the country music world. But he's done it. I also loved him talking about his dad and baseball and what it means to him and what it means to him to be a father and how he's trying to have his father's legacy live on through him and through his son. I just think it's great. I don't know where the guy finds the time, but what it tells you is that the hustle is real. Like if you want to make it in this business or any business, really, that you've got to be willing to get uncomfortable occasionally, do things that you might not think that your, your dream is. Sometimes your dreams change. And his adaptation to his dreams, I think, is very, very important. It's a great lesson to learn. So I hope you enjoyed that. I know I enjoyed sharing it. Don't worry. We got more great interviews coming up. I'm already on the phone talking with different people. And now that the podcast has gained a little bit of popularity, some people are even reaching out to me to be on the podcast. So Trust, we are going to have a great podcast for you. We drop them every Tuesday. If you haven't checked out the other ones, please do. Some good interviews there. Jason Goff and Cheryl Scott and Jason Benetti. If you're just jumping on board now for this episode, I I truly appreciate it. And I know that, that Justin's fans are a legion. So 
It's nice to have the US 99 crowd come and check out what I do occasionally. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.